Today's podcast is brought to you by RetouchUp.com. RetouchUp wants to be your photo editing partner. They help you streamline your workflow to keep you doing what you do best, shooting, selling, or just enjoying life. And be sure and listen later in the show for how you can receive a special discount code to RetouchUp.com. You are listening to the Photobomb Podcast with the world's greatest photographers, Boo Ray and Gary. Welcome to the Photobomb Podcast. My name is Blu-ray Perry, and joining me as always is Gary Hughes. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Just uh, living the dream, basically. You know, uh, just uh, our state is basically slowly collapsing in on itself. And <laughs> we just got the... Uh, we have so many new cases now of COVID-19, and, and let's let's not debate why, uh, because some people say because there's more testing. Some people say because it's, you know, people are just pretending it doesn't exist anymore. But let's just say that it's somewhere in the middle. But for whatever reason now, our county, we're going, a lot of stuff is still closing down again. And our county, our mayor of Orange County just issued an order that starting tomorrow, that everybody has to wear masks in public. Uh, the mayor of Tampa has issued that order for inside the Tampa city limits. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really wish we could get really accurate numbers of how much testing was being done, you know, before to get the number we got then and how much is being done now to get the number we have now. So that we really could get a feel for where we are versus, uh, you know, where we were the last time we were shutting everything down. All I know is that I, it's, it's, it's impacting Look, I know it's a world problem. I know it's a worldwide pandemic. But can we talk about me for a second? <laughs> because it's Father's Day this yeah. weekend. And, you know, I, I'd like to go out to a nice dinner. But we're still we're kind of just not quite, not quite ready to do that yet. But we will. Uh, but what I read was, and this is reading, multiple sources, listening, reading, research. I know that all the bombardiers do their homework. So I know that we can talk about science and homework. Is that in Florida, we were doing about let's say 100,000 tests a week, and now we're doing like 200,000 tests a week. But the, the reports of positive tests is, is up out of those, the percentage. It doesn't matter how many people you're testing. More of those people are coming back uh, positive for coronavirus. Right, right. The percentage, the percentage is what matters. What percentage of people that you're testing are, are coming back positive? I had it affect me just, uh, this, just yesterday and today. My wife, went into the hospital for some surgery and I had to drop her off at the front door and then pick her up at the back door. I was not allowed to enter the hospital and it was horrible not being able to go into the hospital and be with her and wait for her when she came out of surgery. That was horrible, but still the logic rational guy in me also knows that they say that like the leading cause of death in hospitals is infection. You know, not forget covid, just in a normal normal world, infection and so I have to also consider, maybe we should just make this the standard. <laughs> you know, may, maybe that hospitals should just be a place where you don't go in there unless you're being treated. You know, because the doctors called me. I, you know, I was constantly in contact with them on the phone and able to find out everything that was going on. But maybe, you know, may, I mean, people would never go for it. But when you think about it, if, you're really, if your goal really is to prevent harm and death to people, one of the best things you could do would be to lock down all the hospitals and say no one comes in unless they're being treated or they're doing the treating. Right. Like, I've been to hospitals, like, a lot. And I got to tell you, I got a sneaking suspicion not everybody's washing their hands a lot. <laughs> now, I don't mean doctors and nurses. I'm sure that those people are all over it. But, you know, you just – and you got to think there's got to be some – crazy aggressive forms of bacteria that are resistant to stuff 
because they have those little squirty things that give you the sanitizing foam outside every door of every room and in every hall and at every station. And every time you see a nurse or a doctor walk by, it's squirt, squirt, and they rub their hand. And do you think over enough time that there's some sort of like T-800 super invincible murderous version of like staphylococcus or something that just will that just can get you in that zero germ environment that only the strongest survive have we protected people or have we just created the perfect gauntlet by which to create the the doomsday of all (laughs) infections well you can't win either way because if you don't create that gauntlet then the non-doomsday infections kill you you know so either way you're going to be in trouble or at least now the only one we have to worry about is the, like the Terminator infection. The other infections, eh, not so much. They can't really hang out there. That's all right, man. Hey, do you ever get do you ever get asked to um, review things? Have you have you has this happened to you yet? Because I'm getting more and more of this, where I'm getting emails. You're talking about for your YouTube channel? Yeah, like people will send me an email and say, "We would love it if you would review this thing." And I got a new one this week. And uh, <laughs> you gotta admire you gotta admire the tenacity. Uh, sending this to me. Uh, here's the product. I'm going to tell you the name of the product. It's the Waist Trainer Thigh Trimmer Butt Lifter. Hmm. It's a bit of a mouthful. Some sort of thing you strap on your legs and your butt that's supposed to help you with your... And, and they sent it, and they sent to me said, you know, we saw that your reviews and your YouTube channel, and we thought you might like to review this. They said, if you don't think it fits your YouTube channel, then an Amazon review would uh, still be great. So they want to send it to you for free so that you give it a positive review on Amazon? Yeah, so here's what they're doing. They're like, okay, so we're going to go to the YouTubers who review waist trainer, thigh trimmer, butt lifters, and we're going to get them Mm. to do videos, but there's not enough of those. So we also just need to find people who will give us Amazon reviews. Well, who, who would we reach out to? Well, let's reach out to people who already do reviews of some sort. So that's what they're doing. Now they're just reaching out to anybody who does reviews on online and saying, would you possibly review this for us? And we will give you a free one if you do. And so I, you got to admire that they're just, they're just beating the pavement. They're trying to get the reviews that they need. But at the same time, I'm not going to be reviewing the waist trainer, thigh trimmer, butt lifter. <laughs> here, here, this is an interesting topic because I've been doing a lot. You know, recently I started a YouTube channel about a month and a half ago. And uh, we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast. And I was inspired by your excellent YouTube channel. And so I've been doing a lot of research into YouTube channels, subscribing to a lot of YouTubers and seeing how they do things. And here's one thing I've noticed about YouTube celebrity. It doesn't matter what the the cursory sort of point of your channel is. At some point, if you get enough followers, you just can talk about whatever you want and people like you enough to listen to it. So for example, I was watching... um, one of the YouTubers I watch because I sort of love, hate this channel is Peter McKinnon. And he's a Canadian photographer, videographer, YouTuber with millions of followers. And he has really good production value of his stuff. However, I find a lot of his stuff kind of grating. But I watched this one video because he does a lot of cool... Eventually, his YouTube channel has now become about having a YouTube channel, which is kind of interesting. It's no longer about photography and video. It's like, this is about how to have a YouTube channel. And so I was watching this one video and then all of a sudden he spends about 30 minutes in the middle of this video talking about his watch and this guy who customizes watches for any, it's basically becomes a commercial for this watch. And he starts out going like, 
hey guys, so I had a couple of y'all ask me about, the, you know, what, what's up with this watch? I was like, nobody asked you about your watch. <laughs> nobody has ever asked you about your watch. And, and, and so it's kind of like product placement, but at the same time, it's like, if you like the guy, you're going to watch him really talk about anything. And so, I, gosh, and I, I wonder, is that, the, is that the thing that you want your channel to be? I don't want mine to be that. I want to just kind of stay kind of on topic, at least for right now, because I feel like that maybe if you are the CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation that has thousands and thousands of employees all over the world, that maybe your stance on social issues or your thoughts about politics has such a big influence that maybe it doesn't matter that you're just a, a coffee shop or whatever. But like, I'm a, if you're like a YouTube personality who reviews camera gear, and then you're all of a sudden throwing in random other crap like your butt lifter. I don't know. Where are you at with that? Are you going to review the thing? No, I'm not going to. I'm absolutely not going to review the thing. Uh, but but what's, what I find really funny is that you are basically describing our podcast, Gary. Right. I know. Yeah, that's true. That's exactly what we did. We started this podcast and it was all about photography and photography guests and, and what f-stop do you use for that picture and how do you like this, etc. And then as we became more popular and more people began to listen to us and like us for us, we started making the podcast more about just what we wanted to do. Right. And but it, the phenomenon, therein lies the phenomenon. And then what people hang on with you and then what people drop off because they're just like, yeah, this it used to be way more about tech and gear. And now all they do is talk about Girl Scout cookies or something, you know? Well, and that's the difference between me and you is that you are more prone to be, I want to be seen as an expert at this topic. And people come to me because I'm an expert at this topic. And I want to be seen as uh, people see me as just somebody that they like to listen to no matter what he's talking about. And that's why they come to me. I will always have a smaller audience than you will. I have a I have an insecurity about credibility. You yes. know, and I feel like that if you're putting if you're out there on a platform and talking about something that I'm always worried that somebody's going to call you out. I have a huge I have a huge it's why that's why I I downplay myself all the time. I'm just a guy who takes pictures. I'm not, you know, because I because I don't want people to think that I think I'm hot stuff. Sure, that's absolutely legit, but I but in the long run I don't want to spend all my time thinking about what's the best way to do this marketing thing or get this, get the right review or the right product so that I can get more people to watch me. I would much rather just wake up and go, what do I want to talk about today? And, and, if, and so if you can get to the point where that's who you are, then, um, and you're happy with that audience, which is probably going to be smaller than the other audiences, um, then I think you're in a happier place if that's who you are. It depends on what makes you happy. So you, do you want to be DP, you know, do you want to be DP review? Or do you want to be? Do you want to be Leno, or do you want to be Letterman? Now you say you're not hot stuff, but what about this leg trimmer butt lifter thing? And now you could go from being the comedic pundit to being the guy with a really cut cut up butt. You know, like a sweet sweet cut up butt cheeks. Yes, that's true. Then I would. Then I would be. Then I would be hot stuff. Yeah, with your sweet, sweet butt cheeks, just standing in front of a mirror, just jiggling your butt cheeks, just watching the muscles work. Nothing makes me happier than the term sweet, sweet butt cheeks coming out of your mouth. <laughs> butt cheeks are coming out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, there's something I want to talk about that, uh, that uh, this is going to be an eye roll for you. 
this is gonna be nice. but but can can we but I don't want to talk about this the way that you probably expect that I want to talk about it. You know me. I, I like to take things from another angle. You can talk about whatever you want, but I reserve the right to edit out this entire next segment. I, I want to talk about Aunt Jemima. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's great. I want to talk yeah. about Aunt Jemima. Here's what I want to talk about. Okay, so everybody is everybody's talking about Aunt Jemima and and yay, they're getting getting rid of Aunt Jemima and other people saying this is bull that they're getting rid of the Aunt Jemima brand. And some people are saying, you know, they're being pressured into this and this is wrong. And then now the other thing has come out now, which I think is fascinating, is the people who are claiming that somehow Nancy Green, the actress who was hired to play Aunt Jemima 100, and, 100 years ago, 120 years ago, that somehow they are erasing her career by discontinuing the Aunt Jemima brand, which I find hilarious because, you know, did were you upset when they stopped using the Maytag repairman? Were you, you know, when when Flo stops being the face of progressive insurance, are you going to be outraged on Facebook that her career has been erased? Her career hasn't been erased. She was paid to do a job. She did a job. And in this case, Nancy Green lived longer on the face of you know, I mean, as the for Aunt Jemima than anybody else. And by the way, she's not the face of Aunt Jemima anymore. They changed that years ago. So her career actually ended when they stopped you. Well, her career ended when she died. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a solid point. No disrespect to Nancy Green, but that is a real career ender, you know, dying and all. So you're not you're not erasing they're not erasing her career, they're making a decision versus their brand. And let's just look at marketing and business. Mm-hmm. The Aunt Jemima brand. Question number one, Gary, if you were gonna start a pancake mix today, would you pitch, let's call it Aunt Jemima and make it associative with uh, slavery in the Old South. That's going to be our brand. Is that the brand that you would pitch if you were launching a new product today? Solid choice. What do I sign up? Yeah, I don't think it is. <laughs> I don't think anybody would. No, that's a terrible, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. idea. Okay, so, okay, so then the next question is, why don't they get rid of it? Have they kept it because they're racist? No. I don't know. I don't know, but I'll bet you they've kept it because it's a brand identity that has been around for so long that the cost of changing it is unbelievable. Let me ask you this. When you first moved out of your house and you had to go and buy laundry detergent for the first time? Yeah, oh, I remember my first apartment. I had to buy a shower curtain. Uh, yeah, all kinds of stuff you don't have to, you don't, you don't realize that you haven't been paying for. But yeah, you spend a lot of money when you move. But when I had to go buy stuff for my first apartment, I had to buy dish soap. I bought palm olive. I had to buy laundry detergent. I bought Tide. Why? Because my mother, because my mother used palm olive and my mother used Tide. And that's the value of a long-standing brand is the first time somebody buys something, they typically just buy whatever was in their home growing up. So if you own the Aunt Jemima brand or Uncle Ben's rice or anything like that, and it's been in homes for decades and decades and decades, you can't replace that. If you change that brand, you are going to lose that. You, you know, it's a huge hit. It's going to cost you a ton of money. I guarantee you that they have been wanting to change the brand for a long time. They've absolutely, they've, they have changed it, in fact, many times because of, there were protests 25 years ago about the Aunt Jemima brand, and that was when they decided to change the way the picture was done. Uh, they have been fighting this for years. The only reason they haven't done it before now is because the board of directors and the stockholders would have thrown a fit because it would have cost a ton of money. Now, 
we have this unique moment in history where they can finally do it and no one can complain about it. No one can say, no one can say, don't change the brand because of the money. You can't say that right now because they're going to kill you if you say it. So, you, or what, you know what I'm saying? You can't, you can't be the person who says that. The board of directors cannot fight against the change now. So, and there's the added benefit of the huge amount of press that they're going to get for the change. When they do come out with a new name for this uh, pancake mix, it, it will be on Facebook. It will be on the news. It will be a big deal that this is the new name for Aunt Jemima, which remember, there was all of this controversy about it when they said they were going to name the name. The name. And half the battle when you're trying to change your corporate identity and brand identity is getting people to associate the new identity with the old identity. I have it covered. I've got it. Yeah, it'll be Harriet Tub- Tubbins kick-ass slave freer's <laughs> syrup. You know, I actually went down that road. I thought, if I worked there, what would I suggest for the new brand? And I thought, okay, so you want to, you know, what are you going to go, self-rising uh, pancake mix or whatever. But what if you wanted to try and associate it with something that would be seen more, uh, uh, more conducive to undoing a little bit of what you've done for the last 20 years and actually playing to, uh, to African-American communities. And I thought, well, you know, auntie, that's a word that, 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 that they use in the black. Your auntie is, you know, any older woman or any woman is your auntie, like a sister. And they use that term all the time. And I thought, what if you call it auntie cake mix? So then I looked it up and it comes to find out that that's not necessarily loved by all. So I'm like, okay, so you don't want to do that. But then I was looking at, I don't know, some, uh, some singer or whatever. Can, can I just pause you for a second? I just want to pause you for a second. I love that this is what you're spending your time Googling yes. and researching yes. is you're doing the homework yeah. of the marketing and branding department. I'm a big believer that if you're going to say you can't do this, then you need to also say, here's my idea for how. Right. Don't complain without, so, without suggesting a solution. Yeah. So somebody, some singer or somebody apparently had addressed this a, a, a while back in something. And, they, and she said, I'm not really, I don't really like that name. However, I would have no problem with calling me this, this, this. And one of the words she used was queen. And I thought, yeah, queen pancake mix. Queen. That's not a bad word. So if I had to come up with something, maybe that's what I would come up with. But the main point I wanted to come up with is, A, no one is erasing uh, this woman's career. Uh, she, she still had a career. <laughs> a pretty good one. Uh, and I also think it's funny that no one knew who she was until this, this happened. Yes, the outrage over somebody you didn't know existed I guarantee you that if you surveyed a thousand Americans and you asked them, one, not only would they not know that it was a person who actually played that role, that rather than just an illustration, you know, like that, that they would not be able to, they would also not be able to name the actor who played right. that. And person. she was, and, but she was an illustration. Well, uh, she would, the, the name of the company, everything existed before she came along and she wasn't the last one to do it. She, someone else was hired when, when she got too old. And, and they, they write, they say, oh, Nancy Green, she was an activist. She retired a millionaire and now they're erasing her career. And I'm like, no, actually, I didn't know she existed. And I didn't know these great things about her until just now. And if you really want to go deep, it is wrong of you to suggest that all she is and all she encompasses is the fact that she portrayed Aunt Jemima for this pancake company. They're not erasing who she is. She was much more than that. So yeah, that was just a job. 
<laughs> have you been hired to to eulogize this woman? <laughs> I'm just saying. I just think it's I think it's hilarious. She's more famous now than she's ever been because of this. Right, right in the last five days, she's become more famous in than she ever ever was. Yeah, more famous. More people know her name. More people know about her. Believe me, they have not erased her career. That did that just drove me crazy. You, you have, how have you? How can you erase the career of somebody you didn't know existed? But again, I think we're in a little bit of overdrive, a little bit of outrage culture. We've got action reaction. There are a lot of people's emotions, and I believe that most people are generally well meaning when it comes to stuff like this. But you have a lot of uh, headline reactions. It's like they read the, you know, they read the headline. They don't even necessarily click on the article. Then they just repost it and go, I can't believe this. Rabble, rabble, rabble. And guess what? Like, everybody's just going to rabble for a second. Then they'll all calm down and shut up. And then life will go on. Because, again, and I love to say this. This has been running through my head since we recorded last week. The intellectual property of a company is none of your concern. And they don't owe you that intellectual property. They don't owe you the uh, original THX versions of The Empire Strikes Back. They don't owe you the uncut director's edition of Gone with the Wind. They don't owe you anything. The the market will dictate how they behave, where when they do things, and if it goes poorly for them, I guarantee you they will do something else. And so all you have to do is chill and let, let let, let economics do its thing. At, at the same time, this company's doing something that, for whatever reason that they're doing it, is probably a pretty good move. Because if, we're, if it were Bure and Gary started a pancake and maple syrup company, you can bet that it would not have anything like the branding that Aunt Jemima's got now. Because any you put any branding or marketing person in a room to help you come up with your brand, there is no way that they would put their seal of approval on that. No, There's no, no way. way. No way. So they're doing something that, it always goes back to that litmus test for me. If you were doing it today, would you do it? If the answer is no, then it's perfectly okay to change it. In fact, in many cases, it's right. You know what you said this week? I saw you comment this on, so write this on Facebook, and I thought this was so poignant. I want everybody to just remember this. This is Ray's wisdom. <laughs> just because something is old, it doesn't mean that it's better. Just because it's the way things have been done for a very long time, it doesn't mean that it has to continue on indefinitely forever. Like, so the, we have a tendency as people to glorify the past when in reality, um, you know, everything is just a mix of good and bad. We just, the, the difference is, is that I think for people, we're just like, you're almost, al- you're always in a state where you used to be younger and you used to have more time and you used to have more hope. And as you get older, your time's running out and then you look back and, oh, wasn't it great in high school? I mean, it was great that I could like, you know. You know, that I could see my belt loops uh, over my gut, <laughs> but, but but mostly it was still as, as 50-50 awkward and terrible and good as life is right now. So if we glorif- glorifying the past is like, it's such an easy thing to sell and it's such an easy thing to rely on. But if you stop and think objectively, you don't own this property. You don't get to say what happens with it. And two, uh, there's no way that this would exist if it started up today. If a company came out with this today, they would be booed out of existence. Oh, they'd be pariahed. They'd be destroyed for it. And, and you know, I get it. When you first hear of something that's going to change something you grew up with or something you believe in or something you loved, it's painful. But you will get over it, I promise. I went to Northeast Louisiana University, and our team was the Indians. And now it's the University of Louisiana at Monroe, and 
their team is the Blood Ravens or something. I don't even know what their team is. Yeah, yeah they, changed, they changed the mascot and the name of the school that I went to. But it doesn't mean I didn't go to the school, and it doesn't mean that everything that happened to me in college didn't happen to me. The name really means nothing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, my high school was the Bulldogs, and now it's, well, it's still the Bulldogs. Well, you know, I've also seen that uh, the Seminoles now, you know, people are posting about the Seminoles and saying that uh, they shouldn't be using, you know, the Seminoles and I don't know what they call the chief, chief, uh, the, their mascot is chief something. And right. And they're saying they sh- that they shouldn't do that. Uh, and the problem is that the actual Seminole tribe of Florida, which is apparently not that big, like 4,500 people, they're okay with it. In fact, the person who portrays uh, the mascot uh, is there on a scholarship. Uh, that is provided to the Seminoles, and uh, his what what they wear is actually the Seminoles help design that, you know. So they they play a role in it. The problem is that the Seminole Nation is largely actually in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, there's like twenty or forty thousand Seminoles, and they don't like it. So then the question becomes, well, who who should you be listening to? And I actually come down on the side of the, it's Florida State University, and so the Florida State Seminoles are the ones you should be listening to. And if they're okay with it, then okay, you know. I don't think I mind the fact that, because it's, it's, it's actually where mostly we as, as uh, you know, Americans of European descent, we, we qualify what is, what is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different tribes and nations and even ethnicities and cultures that made up the, the native people of the, North American continent into just Indians, yeah. which is also wildly inaccurate. Seminole was one of the actual tribes, you know, that were in the southeastern United States at the time when we started to like, you know, colonize and murder them all. And so at least it's it's accurate. Like the Indians or 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 the Redskins. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And the other thing is the Seminole one of the reasons the Seminoles are are celebrated and legendary is that they one of the few that never officially surrendered. Hmm. And, 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 and that is, you know, portrayed in the football team. That's, you know, that, that fierce warrior spirit. And that goes to another thing, too, that because um, people would I think people would suspect that that I come down firmly on the side of, you know, of, of, the, of anyone who doesn't want to get rid of it. Uh, but I also am willing to say to people who don't want something that you really need to examine why you don't want it. It's easy for me to understand why you if you're a black person, why you don't want a statue of Robert E. Lee in your town square and you don't want your kid going to Robert E. Lee High School. That, that, you don't have to explain that a bit. Makes perfect sense to Not me. Not very difficult Not to difficult grasp. Not difficult to grasp, grasp. But Native Americans in particular, like I went to college and we had a place where you could, the good old days, it was a drive-up frozen liquor place. You drove up, they gave you like a 64-ounce pina colada out the window and you drove away with a straw. <laughs> the good old days, Gary. <laughs> These were the good days. Hall of notes blasting on the car stereo of your Camaro with T-tops. Love it. And their mascot was a obviously inebriated American Indian. Because, you know, because it was a college town and the Indians were everywhere. That was our college mascot, right? And there were, you know, essays and write-ups in the school paper by kids saying, this is wrong. You should not be, this is, a, this is a, a bad portrayal. You should not be portraying a drunk Native American as your mascot. Yeah, that's a little derogatory, yeah. So yeah, it's it, so much nuance to it. And again, you and I are not the ones who get to make the decision. I agree. We should treat all cultures with reverence and pride. On that note, I believe it is time for Photography News. Photography, Photography News. News. 
All right, today's program is brought to you by the fine folks at retouchup.com. Retouchup, where there are no contracts, no minimums, no complications. They have U.S.-based customer support, live chat, email. They're there for you if you need help. I use retouchup.com, and so does Gary. I do indeed. And uh, when was the last time you used Well, you use them for volume a lot. I do. Yeah, actually, one of the cool things that I do is because, let me ask you this question, Bure. Uh, compared to doing things, how much easier is not doing things than doing them? Well, uh, let me get the calculator out. Let me check this. Yeah. Here, the five is three, two, one, six, five, the five times four, and then the square root with the tangent. Okay. You have to check my numbers, but I'm going to go with not doing things is easier than doing things. It is 100% easier than, than, than doing things, as a matter of fact. Oh, all right. Well, I, I got it right. I mean, I didn't have the percentage, but yeah. One of the things I love doing more than anything else is to not do things, including spend an entire day retouching a whole bunch of headshots that I just took. So one of my favorite things is about outsourcing my my uh, retouching to retouch up for jobs like this is I'll actually go in the morning and I'll shoot a corporate, you know, a t- corporate team, 20, 30, 40 people. I'll do headshots for the whole team, team shots, whatever. And then I will shoot tethered. I will export those images after color correcting, doing your raw processing. And then as I'm packing up, I will have it uploading on my laptop to retouchup.com. So by the time all my gear is packed up, all my images that I just took are already with retouchup getting retouched. And it, it, very often I will get them back in the same day. And so to be able to do that for my client, if I went home and did that by hand by myself, I, not only would I probably not be able to do it in that timetable, but I would also uh, not be able to do anything else because what I like doing is working on my business, bringing in new clients rather than actually having to do all the grunt work. Like somebody told me once, don't do the $10 an hour job in your business. And so we outsource. So yes, we use retouchup.com for that. I use it for the very same reason. You, you really can't underestimate the joy that comes from leaving a job and knowing you don't have to go to your studio and work more on the job. Yes, love that. Yeah, you really can't pass it up. So listen, go to retouchup.com and sign up for a new account and give them a try. When you do sign up for that account, be sure and list Photobomb as your reference because when you do that, you're going to get a special discount code and also the folks at Retouchup will know that you came from us, which helps us out too. So be sure and do that. Retouchup.com, sign up for a new account and use Photobomb as your reference code. What have you got this week? Well, we have some exciting, and you'd guessed it. You knew I was going to cover this. You knew I was yes. going to bring it to the table. Yes. Hot take. This happened this morning, actually. This was more Canon EOS R6 specs have been leaked. Now, we have been following the R5 big time, the Canon R5 coming out, the new like big, bad, awesome mirrorless camera that they got coming out, the the sort of mirrorless replacement for the for the 5D but the R6 is one that has been talked about a lot, has been rumored. And from what I read, it's not actually even officially confirmed by Canon that this thing even exists. Although there, there are pictures of it now. The Canon rumors actually leaked a picture of the two cameras. But here's the cool thing. You and I have talked about which one we would get coming out and why and what the specs would be. And so some of these improved specs... Uh, the, these leak specs on this R6, I was always like, I'm just going to get the R5 because screw it. But the specs that came out today make the R6 a lot more attractive. And not just that, the price point, as predicted, is going to be about 2500 or less. And so that's the newest, the newest word on the street. So for $2,500, you get a full frame mirrorless camera. That's all the EF lens mount. I'm sorry, the RF lens mount. 
in-body image stabilization. 12 frames per second mechanical, 20 frames per second electronic. You get oversampled 5K video, which basically means that films in 5K and down reses it to 4K, so it actually makes a better looking, sharper, higher quality 4K that can do 60 frames per second. You get the Canon log, that's sort of like high uh, dynamic range in camera without having to use an external recorder, 10-bit video shooting. The autofocus system is going to be the same as the R5. Dual SD card slots. Now, this is interesting because you won't have to buy those CF Express, those very expensive CF Express slots, because the R5 is going to have one CF Express and one SD. And there's probably a very specific reason for that, because I imagine you won't be able to shoot in 8K to the SD card slot on R5. But that's just a guess. That's not a fact. Um, Dual SD card slots. I'm pretty excited not having to buy new cards to use that camera, I think is really cool. It's got the animal detection autofocus. It's got, um, now this is the thing, this is one of the things I don't like about mirrorless is when you get a low quality electronic viewfinder and the R5 is supposed to have a really beautiful 5 million dot EVF. Apparently, according to these new specs that are leaked, the R6 is going to have the same viewfinder as the R5, which is usually one of the ways that they cut costs. Yeah, because I mean, that literally, I, I thought you were going to go the other way with that and I was waiting, I was going to jump in and go, okay. Could that be a deal killer for you? And that's not even going to be an issue. So, yeah, it's a 5 million dot EVF on the R6. So R5. So basically, here, here's the difference. The main difference, the big difference, the thing you're going to pay the, the $4,000 for as opposed to $2,500 for is it looks like that the R6 is probably going to have the 1DX Mark III 20 megapixel sensor. So it's going to be a full frame, but it's going to be 20 megapixels, which is even less than the RP, which is 26 megapixels. And so that kind of sucks if you want that extra resolution. But here's the thing. You say that you want that extra resolution, but I guarantee you that most working photographers have absolutely zero need for a 45 megapixel camera. You know how I know that? Because you already don't have one. That's how I know you don't need one. (laughs) So yes, it would be nice. However, I think the sensor cost may be one of the things we're using to cut the cost on these bad boys. However, the only thing you're going to be missing is the 8K video, the CF Express card slot, if you were looking forward to that. The build quality, quote unquote, is supposed to be not as good. So I'm guessing they use sort of less metal and more plastics, you know, more polycarbonates, stuff like that. Um, And you're going to miss that top mounted LCD that's sort of that at a glance settings when you look down at your camera is not going to be there. That's pretty much it. I mean, (laughs) and we and we're predicting $1,500 different. So everything you just listed, you're giving all that up. And they're paying you $1,500 to not have that stuff. Yeah, to give you uh, to not have again, you're just you're not going to have 8k video. You're not going to have a top down focus screen. You're not going to have um, a, a quite as good a build quality, and you're going to lose 25 megapixels. I'm not going to lie; those megapixels are nice. I, you know, I rented a 50 megapixel camera and played with it for a couple of weeks, and it is really nice to have that extra resolution. I mean, and it's so fun to play with, especially if you've got like an ultra HD monitor, and you can. But if you're your 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 average portrait wedding photographer, 20 megapixels will be plenty of megapixies for you to create your work with. But what you're getting on the other side is an incredibly capable camera at an unbelievably competitive price. And so the cool thing is, is that this is also going to be the first iteration of this R5 and R6. So I can imagine coming out with an R6 Mark II with the 
with the more megapixels. Like it's got room to grow. But as it is, I mean, I was like, eh, not really super stoked on the R6. I'll, maybe I'll get one as a backup or something. But looking at this, the the most recent specs as they come out, it's it's going to be a tough contest trying to decide between those two because I really would like those megapixels. But I'm thinking, oh, my God, all the hard drive space and the processing time and everything else. I mean, having to pay. It's going to, I mean, CF Express cards aren't cheap either. So you're paying, you're gonna spend at least a few hundred dollars in in memory cards to to take advantage of that CF Express card slot, which I'm guessing that you're gonna probably have to use for 8K video. And not only that, my guess is because of overheating, there's a reason Canon has cinema level cameras, is because they have cooling built into them. They're bigger, and so that they can put all that data throughput without the camera overheating. And there's just no active cooling going on in these DSLR and in these mirrorless camera bodies. So that's one of the reasons why you can only shoot for a certain length of time. And I think that the R5, my guess is, I don't know this, is probably going to have a very limited amount of time you can shoot 8K, somewhere probably between like five minutes to 15 minutes tops clips you'll be able to shoot in 8K. And so, and you're going to have to probably use a CF Express card slot to do that for the amount of data they're putting through. So just my uh, interesting stuff. We're following that. And I believe that the it's actually July 9th is the official announcement date where we're going to find out all this other stuff and it will go for sale. And another hot take, according to Canon rumors, the R6 is actually going to ship before the R5. Oh, wow. We thought, wow. We thought the R5 is going to drop and then we'd have to wait to compare it to the 6. And the R6 will be apparently shipping in August and the R5 will not be shipping until September. I got to give you credit, Canon. You've managed to pull it off where you're you're putting out two cameras that I can't decide between. And that's you know, it's frustrating but at the same time much better than when you're not putting out anything. Uh you know, I here's what I can see happening. I can see me doing this the way I launched my career where I go, I'm going to get the R6 and then I use the R6 for 2 or 3 years. And then I go, yeah, now you're becoming the backup and I'm getting the R5 Mark II. And that becomes oh, the camera that I used for 10 years, <laughs> you know, or something along those lines with the R6 sitting in the backup. Position. You do hold on to them for a while. Well, as long as they're working. I mean, that's a great. We've said this a hundred times. Every camera you buy today is great. Yeah. You know, and, and, I like, and I like that there's such a noticeable difference in the price. $1,500 forces you to really have to make a decision. If you're looking at something like Fuji, if you're looking at the X-T3 versus the X-T4, and you look at what you get on the X-T4 versus the X-T3 and the difference in the price, you're looking at like $1,300 versus $2,000. So it's like a $700 difference. And for the $700, you get IBIS? That alone. <laughs> Do you know what? You know what's funny when I'm thinking about these cameras, like practically speaking? It's like, what would it take for me to buy the, to spend the $4,000? What would turn me off of the R6? The only, my only hesitation is going to a 20 megapixel sensor. And that's not confirmed. It is possible that it's going to be in the 20s of megapixels rather than 20. So it could end up being 23, 26 megapixels, which if it's a 26 megapixel sensor, I'm in. R6, no problem. Done. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I would be too. And I have no problem giving up the top-down screen because I can't read that screen anyway. Right. So, I mean, when I think about how much I actually use, I don't have one on my RP and that's the camera I shoot with the most. I've gotten used to it. You will have to rely on that LCD screen on the back a lot more. Or you look through the viewfinder. See, that's to me, that's the whole beauty of mirrorless is that if you're a person who needs reading glasses like me and everybody else over a certain age, 
uh, it's great that you can just look in the viewfinder and see all the menu settings and everything you write there clearly without having to put on put on your reading glasses or or use a, a you know a hoodman or something like that in order to see the controls. And you know, I and like I said, the top down screen, I can unless I put on reading glasses, I can't really read that very well. I I can usually pick out the icons, like I can tell what the drive mode is or whatever without my glasses, but I can't really read it. Uh, without glasses and so i don't have a problem with losing and not to mention the fact that fuji i love fuji and fuji doesn't have any of that and it doesn't bother me a bit right yeah so i'm uh i'm, I'm looks like i'm on board it really it's going to hinge on two things one if that sensor is 20 megapixels i may just go ahead and get the r5 however there is one dumb thing that i'm really stuck on is i miss my joystick if that r5 if that r6 comes out and it doesn't have a joystick on the back of it i'm gonna re that that that's gonna send me screaming to the r5 if it's 20 megapixels and it doesn't have a joystick i'm gonna be like i've already got that camera you know you know i've i've already got a uh you know with the exception of the video capability and the in-body image stabilization i've got a camera that image quality wise and use wise is going to be comparable what i want out of this camera is to go back to like my 5D Mark IV, that the size, the feel, and the tactile nature of those buttons that I can use and feel like I've got more control over it, that's what I want. So if the R6 will do, be like, if it just gives me the same image quality as the RP while giving me that tactile control, the ability to do full frame 4K, and the in-body image stabilization, I think I don't, I don't, I don't know about the R5. I may get one just to sort of review it, but I don't know that I'll buy it. The R6 would be more than enough camera for me, but. 20 megapixels. I, don't know. I just see, I, I can't get over the 20 megapixels. That's just so low compared to mm -hmm. where we've been for the last decade. Yeah, you've got the, the, the Canon M6 Mark II has like 32 megapixels, and that's a pocket. Camera. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't get that. The joystick thing, that's an issue, but I think it may be one of those you know, old guy issues where the joystick's going away, you just get used to it. I, I ordered the Fuji X100V. Again, it, oh, I yes, I remember. Yeah, it's coming. It's earlier. it's coming in later this week. I ordered it uh, before uh, the virus, and there was a problem with it, so I sent it back, and I didn't get a replacement because you know the whole world was on fire, and I wanted to just wait and see how things were going to shape out. And then I finally said, you know, it's just time to go ahead and pull the trigger. So I've ordered it again. Interesting. I didn't order the same color. Oh, which color did you get? My previous two cameras have been silver, silver and black bodies. And so when I first ordered the V, I ordered the all black one. And I was like, you know, it's time to go to the all black. I'm going to get the all black. And then when it came in and I had it in my hands, I was, I don't know, there was just something, I was not overwhelmed by it. I was not as excited to have the black one as I thought that I would be. I thought, you know, oh, it's going to be so cool because it's different than my other one. And I don't know if it's just that I've, I've had that black and silver body for so long that I just, I have, you know, you get attached to things from your past. And so this, I went ahead, I ordered the exact same. It's black and silver. This will be my third X100 series camera that is black and silver. Are there any other options besides all black and black and silver? No, no, no. Sometimes, usually a couple of years later, they might come out with one that's brown and silver, uh, which I really like too. But um yeah, so I was like, no, just. I think I like the black and silver. It's iconic, man. I, I, I do. I think so too. But I feel at the same time that I'm, you know, I want to push the envelope. I want to try something new. I don't want to be that guy who buys the same car every four years. <laughs> but, yeah, but that's kind of who you are. Uh, so anyway, but it doesn't have a joystick. It's the point of my story, and so I'm going to have to get used to not having a joystick. And I don't think I'm going to like it. And I think I'm going to rebel against it, but I think I'm going to get used to it. And if I get used to it, then I certainly won't have a problem getting an R6 with no joystick. The reason I want the joystick is it is very practical is because I've gone out to events and I've been shooting with my 
EOS uh, with my EOS Mark, uh, sorry, 5D Mark IV and my RP, kind of dual shooting. And when you're shooting events and there are lots and lots of faces in every scene, the eye autofocus isn't very useful and the face detect isn't super useful. It's still faster to just roll your thumb and, and put the focus point where you need it quickly as you shoot to get your focus if stuff's moving. And so I don't love the auto detect and the eye autofocus for shots like that in situations like that. So since we shoot a lot of events, I think having a joystick makes it a better event camera and like wedding reception photography and, and, and corporate events. And so that's, that's kind of what I would want for in the studio. It doesn't matter. I never turn off the eye autofocus in the studio because why the heck would you ever do that? I am afraid that what's going to happen is because I don't have the joystick, I will take the camera away from my face in order to touch the face I want to use, you know, focus on. And then over time, I will start to just always keep the camera away from my face. And then I will have to kill myself because that's not how you're supposed to take pictures if you're a photographer. <laughs> and, I'm an old, and, I'm, and I'm an old guy. <laughs> just because we, we remember we said just because something's old, it's been around a long time, doesn't mean that it's the best way to do it. I, I know, but you know, you don't, you don't, you, I, there, there is a, come on, there's a little bit of that, you know, we're photographers and when cell phones and stuff and, and you see the people walking around holding the camera out in front of them and using it to take pictures and, and there's a little bit of us that is so judgmental about that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And now mm -hmm. we are being pushed into becoming that person because they're removing our joystick. But that doesn't mean that it isn't right. And it doesn't mean that it isn't just time and it isn't more efficient and easier. You know, so don't resist it. And, 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 if, and if five years from now, I never hold a camera up to my eye again, I guess that's just the way it'll be. That's just the way it is. Remember when you used to have to wind it after every picture? Remember, you have to wind your watch. Yes. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. So, if that's what, if that happens, that happens. But, but part of the romance and charm for me of being a photographer is bringing the camera to your face. That, mm -hmm. To me, that's more, I can't think of a good comparison. I've got some good news for you. You will have been dead for such a long time before <laughs> viewfinders are gone that you'll never have to worry about it. That's true. Here's the good news, Buray. You have no longstanding relevance whatsoever in the world. Yeah, that's it. You'll be you'll be dead. The world will move on without you. And we don't need you in your old timey viewfinder bullcrap. So what do you got in photography news? Uh, well, Nikon uh, is reopening their repair facilities for mail-in service. So if you have a Nikon camera, you're a Nikon user, and you maybe had a problem, you need repaired or something uh, over the course of uh, COVID, congratulations. Nikon uh, is reopening their repair facilities for mail-in service. So you can mail your camera off and have it repaired. I'm, I'm in good shape with mine right now because I had it uh, inspected and cleaned and repaired uh, just before COVID hit. And of course, it hasn't been used at all. So it's in great shape. Uh, but if there's a, there's a, just a little notice from Nikon, just to let you know that they are saying their, their turnaround times are slower, right? but they are open. Yes, they are open. Uh, if you are a Sony user, uh, this is interesting. Tamron, uh, Tamron. I mean, we, we have rankings, right? The rankings are uh, the lens that is made by your manufacturer that makes your camera. Yes. The next lens would be, well, I mean, we're not talking Zeiss lenses. That's off the table. The next lens after having a lens that's made by your camera manufacturer, the next lens would be Sigma. Mm -hmm. And then there's Tamron. Mm -hmm. And then there's, at, underneath the tire in your parking lot is Optica. <laughs> that's like the very bottom. I feel like we're, I feel like we're missing one. Are we? Who, what are we missing? 
I don't know. For me, it's all, for me, it's always been when it comes to off-brand lenses. It's always been Sigma, Tamron, and I started with some Tamron with a Tamron lens, and then I moved to a Sigma lens, and then I moved to Canon. That's and so for me, that's the chain. But that's for me, and that was you know 15 years ago. So now that may not be the case at all. And Tamron is coming out with a new lens for Sony, and it is a 28 to 200 millimeter lens, and it is f 2.8 to 5.6, and I really, if I was a Sony shooter, I really would want to see what the quality of these images are because, you know, to f 2.8 when it's wide open, and then, you know, when's it going to start to shift? Probably f 2.8 at 28, and then what, around 50, maybe 60, 70, it's going to start to go to 4.0 or something like that, Gary? I don't have any lenses like this, so I don't know. Do you have any lenses that are variable aperture? No, I, I mean, I used to, uh, but, you know, I, to me, the advantage of this is, Depending on what you shoot, depending on what you need, and depending on what you're going to do for it, like if you are taking your Sony with you on vacation and you're a cam and you've got all of those awesome G mount lenses and you don't want to take them, <laughs> this is awesome because five six isn't going to kill you, you know, on vacation taking photos of stuff. But to be able to also get to two eight wide open, that's a really fast variable aperture. It, very, it really is, and and that's my but that's my point. Where does it switch to 5.6? Because you're actually going to have 2.8. It's not just at 28. You're probably going to have 2.8 a little bit, you know, up from that. Uh, in my experience, as soon as you start to zoom in, you start to lose the 2.8. Okay, but 4.0, could, do you think you could shoot uh, 4.0 at 70? Yeah, sure. Probably couldn't tell you, though. But yeah, I'm guessing. Okay, 4.0 at 70, when do you need to be, you know, you know, how often, really realistically, how often do you shoot at, at more wide open than 4.0 at 70? It's not and to me. It's not that you're you you're you don't get to shoot wide open. It's that you don't get as much control in predicting the exposure because as soon as you zoom, your your camera is going to start to change the right. aperture on you right. automatically, right. and that kind of gets irritating. So then you have it's base. It's a, it's kind of just a completely different way of shooting. For me, I test all my lights, I meter everything, I set the camera, and I'm locked in, and I never have to think about my settings again. And so the, and there's no in between for me when I'm traveling and I've got my, like my can my M50 and I'm just taking pictures of my kids and stuff. I'm on program with auto ISO. Like I don't, like, I don't really like, I don't care at all. So I'm either meticulously scientifically creating the image and locking it in, or I am just letting the camera do all the work. So in this case, for me, if I was going to use it for travel or personal use, it wouldn't bother me at all. It's a, it's a great walk around lens and it looks like it's about 700 bucks or so. Uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. It's a great price. I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to, you know, DP review, doing a deep dive on this lens or something like that. I want to, I want to see what the images look like. Are they sharp? Uh, yeah, because if they are, and of course that doesn't affect me, I'm not a Sony user, but if I was a Sony user or a new Sony user, ah, this is, this could be a great, you know, all purpose you got this lens on your camera. There's not much you can't do. Right. We said, but we've said this before too, for like you, you do, if you're shooting weddings on the beach. You know, or, you know, it's a great way to not have to change your lenses outside and get sand and dirt in the sensor. It's just you put one on one body and you just get to use that. It's even like if you shoot with two bodies, you could have like your nice G series on one and not take it off. So you don't have to open the body to the elements and have your second camera with that 28 to whatever 
at 28 to 200. So you've got a really good versatile lens on the other hand, but when you really need that sweet glass for that extra whatever for that shot you're going for, it's just, it'll be a neat little tool to have in your kit, especially if you're shooting volume, if you're going traveling, or if you shoot somewhere where you don't want to continually have to swap lenses out where you could damage the camera or make or dirty up the sensor. It's yeah, it's pretty sweet. For 729 you almost can't beat it. I can tell you that when I make the jump to mirrorless, let's say I go to the R6 or the R5, and the time comes that my 2470 or my 7200 millimeter f2.8 lenses give up the ghost, there is a good chance I will, I will be definitely looking hard at simply replacing both of those lenses with something that's a little bit more all-purpose, something that's 2.8 to 4.0. Because uh, it's been great using these lenses and swapping all these years, but looking back at my images over the years, doing searches, uh, you know, in Bridge where you can say, show me all the images I shot that were more wide than this or that were at this exposure. I don't think that I necessarily am using these lenses for the very expensive qualities that I'm, uh, I'm paying for. And that it might just be better for me to have, instead of three lenses, instead of the Holy Trinity, two. One that's, you're very wide open, because if you have to come up with one that will go 16 to 200, you know, so you need one that's 16 to 35 for your wide stuff. And that's, that lens, it's also usually the lens you want to be, to be uh, the highest, the most wide open too, because the wide stuff is the stuff you shoot inside at the, uh, uh, you know, in the uh, dark party, right? In the reception. So you want to be able to shoot wide open. And then instead of having two more lenses, just one. Give me a give me a twenty four or a twenty six to two hundred millimeter variable. If it's sharp and it's clean, why why are you carrying two lenses, Bure, when you could just have one on your camera most of the day? Well, I think Tamron knows that they have a really good uh, inroad into the um, into the new photographers, into hobbyists and stuff. And, and you know what? If you're really making a lot of money with your business, or you really get serious about photography and it becomes a serious source of income, and you want to get better equipment. Absolutely. But this is still a if you're shooting and you're like, well, I've only got the one kit lens that it came with and I wanted this is like it's a great option. Like you can always get it more lenses if you want to. But yeah. I have one more story. We would be remiss if we did not discuss this story. It is a short story, though. Adobe unveils major app updates for Photoshop, Lightroom, Camera Raw and a whole bunch of it's basically its whole creative suite has gotten an update and they've, they've done the thing where now the, they've changed the icons are now different. Um, you know, whenever you update Photoshop and to change the icon. Um, so because the feature that this is touting, the main feature, and we posted a link to this on the Facebook page, go to facebook.com slash photobomb podcast. And then you can check that article out. There is uh, one feature that they're touting really heavily is they have improved that select subject feature. So if you if you pick us any selection tool out of your toolbar, in the top you'll see the select subject tool becomes available and select and mask. So select subject kind of uses AI and whatever to just sort of basically kind of determine where the subject is and roughly sort of selects it for you. And that was a really cool feature as sort of a thing to I, I forget when they introduced it a few versions of Photoshop ago. If you knew you had to cut somebody out, select subject was a really great way to start. You know, and then you would go in and you would correct the fine details with the other tools. The new select subject tool is basically like you hit this one button and your subject selected and you're pretty much done down to the fine detail. Like, so I downloaded this morning and I tested it on an image and it's not, I, I have to play with the settings. It's not perfect, but it is so good that you could almost 
if you had images on like a solid background with de- with decent contrast, you could almost batch edit subject removal or background removal with this tool. It's really, really good. It's yeah, I do it all the time. I'm constantly dropping in backgrounds and I send them off a lot if they're too difficult for me. But if they're if I've shot them the right way and they're easy enough for the sake of time, a lot of times I'll just do it myself if it's just one or two. And so I did want to play that play with it this morning. And it's pretty good. You still aren't going to get it exactly right when you click that button so far in my experimentation, but it is definitely improved. Like you see fine detail in hair all the way around the head and cool stuff like that. It is worthy of update. And so far, I've been using it most of the day today before I came to record the podcast and it hasn't crashed. And I downloaded it so that I could talk about it on the show today. If you're one of those people who likes to wait a few months to see it, you know, before they do the update for all the inevitable bugs that it's going to have. So far, I haven't had any problems. I've been editing on it all day. And that so that new select subject tool is excellent. So take advantage of that and check out the, um, the, the Facebook page so you can see a full list of features. It's got updates for everything from Photoshop, Lightroom, Premiere, and a complete overhaul of Bridge. Bridge is completely been overhauled. Oh, really? Yes, they, they changed the look of it, the, the tools layout. They've made batch processing easier. They have put Bridge on steroids and specifically Adobe Camera Raw in Bridge. Oh. So if you are into that Adobe, Bridge and Adobe Camera Raw editing, you have just gotten a ser- serious upgrade that they're trying to make Adobe Camera Raw f- function and feel a lot more like Lightroom. And so it looks great. I haven't used it yet, but if I watch some of the walkthrough videos and it seems like it's going to be a really, really cool update. There's been updates to the to the iPad app, just a huge, huge suite of updates. So check that article out if you want to really get down and nerdy all the way into all those little feature updates. It's the biggest update Adobe's put out in quite a while. And in so far, it seems really, really cool. All right. Well, don't forget the conversation continues on facebook.com slash photobombpodcast. That's where you want to go if you want to be part of the community and talk to us and comment on the things that we uh, talk about here on the show. You can also find our website, photobombpodcast.com. Gary's website is hughesfioretti.com. So it is. My website is com, And our email address is questions at photobombpodcast.com. We'll see you back here next week. See you later. Mm-hmm.